All of us are on a complicated journey of faith, pursuing truth and deeper knowledge of God. But how do we know we're doing it right? Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing, and it can be a painful and difficult journey, and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and one of my best friends, Marty Frederick, and I have agreed to join each other in creating exactly that kind of space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to look honestly at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today and to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We believe that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but perhaps one of its greatest allies. We think that the Christian life is more about asking the right questions than it is about finding the answers. And we believe we are being called to continually ask those questions, renewing our minds and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. Welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Patterson, and with me today is my good buddy, Marty Frederick. Marty, how's it going, dude? I'm going well, but I'm really disturbed, Josh. There's there's Why nothing there's nothing behind you. And yeah. there's normally a wall behind you of like tomes and tomes and tomes of wonderful epithets of books and what's going on, man? Yeah, my so my shelves are empty. We got robbed last night, and oh, for no. whatever reason, they didn't steal the PlayStation or the TV. They only stole all my theology books. So Man. I figure, like, if, if they're going to steal something, at least that's a good thing to steal. And they stole good ones, too. Like, I got rid of all the crap ones, so they stole all the good ones. So hopefully it'll help them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> nice. that's crazy man i can't believe that would happen and you just you guys it's were just crazy. sleeping and they, they we just were sleeping and- didn't even hear it like i don't even know how they managed to get all those books out of here i really don't <laughs> it's impressive like i'm not even mad about it i'm just more so impressed but like, they left your washington capitals pops they did yeah which i'm thankful for for that well but they I probably guess- looked at them and they're like mm, no we're not interested in that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they left apparently four books right here in the corner. <laughs> no, nice. and they're, those are four good ones too. No, but um, we, my wife and I are currently under contract to purchase our first house and wow. closing day is January 19th. And so we are packing to move once again for like the sixth time in our four years of marriage. <laughs> Except this time the move brings you to your own home instead of someone else's home that you just pay to live there, which is much better. Much better. Yeah. Because my money is like getting something rather than like, I've appreciated, appreciated the landlords. They're nice. Give us a place to live, but it's nice to know that I'm putting money into something that like I actually own. And yeah, it's yours. No one else can take it from you. Right. Well, except the bank or the government. (laughs) I'm I'm not going to let them. (laughs) <laughs> All right, Marty. Well, I like, yeah, I'm interested. I'm going to call the government and have them come over. You stand yeah. on the front porch and you tell them they can't have it. In the, I say, see I'll, that happen. I'll do the Jedi mind trick. I'll just say, you can't have this house. And they'll say, we can't have this house. And they'll turn around and walk away. <laughs> this is not the house <laughs> you're looking for. Yeah, that's right. 
Well, Josh, we, I'm excited because um, today we have someone on the podcast that's a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. And um, the first time I heard this person speak, um, I I felt like I I just needed to know more about this person 100% right away. Um, and uh, so his, his name is Rod Tucker, and uh, he's awesome. Rod, how are you? I'm great, man. Didn't we meet at uh, church camp? Like yeah. the first ever Awana church camp site in the history of the world. It, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's true. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Rod was speaking and he was uh, the topic he was speaking on. Um, I had just met him that day, like literally right before he was supposed to speak. He and his wife showed up. Like the, That's when they arrived. And we jumped on stage and we played the music and his wife sang with us. And then he spoke after that. And uh, after that, I was I went and talked to him and I was like, hey, Rod, there's this thing I've been struggling with. And you were just talking about it. And like he helped me through it like that moment. Um, like, I don't know if you remember that specifically. Um, no, but it does sound about right that I would show up as the music is <laughs> beginning to play. Yeah, that, that does sound a lot like me. So I believe the story. <laughs> <laughs> so Rod's awesome. I think you guys are going to love Rod a lot. Um but uh, Josh, do you want to ask our question since we're kind of switching things up a little bit today? Why not? Sure. Yeah. Rod, so we have a question that we like to ask everybody who comes on the show. Um, it's an important question to us, uh, especially since the season is about to start up again, although it's going to be kind of weird. But Rod, who is your favorite ice hockey team? Mighty Ducks from D2. Nice. They beat Iceland in the championship and Julie, the cat Gaffney made the game winning save, but she hadn't played the entire season. But Gordon Bombay told her, you will be your time will come. And when her time came, he said, I know this guy is going glove side. And she said, what if he goes stick side? And he said, I know him. He's going glove side. She caught the puck. The Ducks won. There it is. All right. Nice. Classic. Yeah. And maybe, maybe you already know this, Rod, but uh, they announced they are doing a new Mighty Ducks movie. What? Yes. Yeah, and Emilio Estevez is going to be Coach Gordon Bombay. Uh, the lady from, uh, from Gilmore Girls, I only know that because my wife watches that show, but the <laughs> mom in that show, she's going to be like a mom of one of the kids. Yeah, it's going to be a thing. It's coming out next year, I think. 2021. Oh, man. That is amazing. I need you guys to be impressed at how quickly I answered that question because oh, I'm super impressed. We are. We are. <laughs> I knew I knew you were going to ask it, and I was ready. I had the whole story. I'm a storyteller. I had the whole story. Glove side, you know. I had it. Yeah. I was ready. That's perfect. That's, yeah, that that's good because sometimes people it's like, oh yeah, we I've listened to your show a bunch of times. I really love your show, and then we get to the question, and they're like stumped by it. So either they haven't listened or they haven't thought about it or both. <laughs> or they yeah. skipped that part. They skipped, yeah. like Jace told me, he was like, Josh, you guys need to stop asking dumb questions and just like get into the content. That's what Jace said. So no, Jace, no, this is our, <laughs> Jace, this is our podcast. Okay. This, yeah. is, this is our podcast, Jace. <laughs> and that's a good question because now everybody knows there's a new Mighty Ducks coming out and Mighty yeah. Ducks shaped our generation. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah, At least true. mine. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Absolutely, it's true. Well, so Rod, then just uh, just besides Mighty Ducks, uh, will you <laughs> will, you, will you give us some background? Who are you? What do you do? Uh, <laughs> what what are you about? Yeah, I will try. Um, 
Let me see here. I have a little bit of a unique upbringing in, I think, Christian faith in the sense that my parents, I'm 38 years old and my parents are 40 years recovering drug addicts and alcoholics. So I was born right after they started their journey to get free of hard drugs and alcohol and left, you know, familial dysfunction and a lot of that, that toxic stuff that you see in the movies. Um, but as a result, I was raised going to church, but then every week also in the church basement at their recovery meetings that they were having. At that time, they were called AA. I think they do celebrate recovery and all these different things now. But I just experienced a lot of, hey, go to church and put a smile on as everybody talks about, you know, the masking and the faking. And, but that wasn't the case, I think, in the, in the basement of the church where people were really offering grace and life to each other. But in order to get there, you know, you had to be vulnerable and you had to, you know, share your, your stuff. I forgot to ask if we could use profanities on this. Yes. Yes. Okay. It makes, (laughs) you you have to share your shit. Like you have to open it up and you have to let people see you naked in order to get to those places. And so there was just this weird, you know, two different worlds that I grew up in. So um, that, that kind of shaped me and leads me to, I like you guys, we were talking before the, before the, uh, the whole recording started. I worked at a church for eight years. I was the discipleship pastor. Things got really wonky and weird. I left kind of bleeding out. Um, I ended up going to be, Uh, a coordinator for discipleship for an entire denomination, which was like, Hey, travel the nation and help all our churches do discipleship better. And that was strange um, and weird to see that all the churches are very much kind of the same um, and trying to do the same things in the wrong direction. And so then from there, my wife and I were like, we need to, we need to follow the gospel of Jesus and we need to plan a church in a, in our neighborhood and it's a poor neighborhood. It's a violent neighborhood. There's a lot of drugs in this neighborhood and we need to just be present and be a church that's with the community as opposed to, you know, start to grow, move out to the suburbs, build a bigger stage, get a fog machine. And, you know, you've arrived once you hire a youth pastor, that's how you know you've arrived when you hire a youth pastor. So right now, you know, Anna and I were in the middle of, a simple, sustainable church that empowers the neighborhood. And it's been a really cool test and shaping having the opportunity to push back against ego that says, how big can you get? And instead just say, you know, what kind of legacy and impact can we leave? So there's a lot in there, I guess, to start a conversation, but that's what we're doing now. And that's kind of where I've been over the past 38 years of my life. Sweet. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Rod. That's, that's interesting. Um, I like what you had to say there. Cause I've been, I've been thinking recently, like just with myself. Uh, so I'm a full-time high school and young adult pastor. So thank you for giving the world the truth that hiring a youth pastor is what matters most. That makes me feel good. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but um, no, so, but something I've been thinking about personally, um, in, in ministry for myself has been the opposite direction of going bigger. I've actually, especially with COVID been thinking smaller, not larger. Um, 
and really I've been kind of recaptured by the idea of like the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Um, and so I've really been kind of feeling pushed and led in a direction that would allow me to pursue ministry uh, that seeks depth rather than, um, you know, uh, quantity of people. Uh, so one-on-one relationship and interaction uh, kind of stuff. So that's, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, but one, one other question that we like to ask people uh, has to do with the name of our podcast, which as you know, is Rethinking Faith. And so our question is, what is one aspect of your faith uh, that you had to rethink, or perhaps the most significant aspect of your faith uh, that you have had to rethink? Yeah, I think uh, what's one? Um, all of them. All good all, answer. <laughs> I've, I've had to re. I've had to rethink all of them. I and I, and I think I'll let that start with my answer. We can dive into absolutely any topic on these rethinking things, but I'll tell you, I had to give myself a deep level of permission to even go there and to begin rethinking these things because we are, I mean, if you're, if you're like me at all and you're raised in a, in church culture or churched, as some people might say, really funny book named churched by the way, um, that you guys should look at and read sometime, but they don't give you permission to question. You can't have faith to doubt. You can't have, you can't give yourself the opportunity to say no. I don't think that you can't say things like, you know what? It sounds to me from my reading of the Bible or my thoughts on God, that hell is not an eternal torture chamber with a lock on the outside. Um, you don't, you just don't get to say it and you don't get to give yourself permission to do that. And so for me, probably the biggest thing that I had to rethink, um, in my faith journey has been actually giving myself the opportunity to rethink faith in and of itself, because you just, you don't do it. You go to church, you sit down, you face forward, someone jumps up on a stage and because they're on a stage, they're a little bit closer to God than you. And so you have to give them authority and then they tell you what to think. And churches have been, they've been establishing their entire faith on morality for more than 50 years now to the point where you, depending on what church you go to in their statement of faith, it also has their morality. We believe in God, the father almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. We believe the Bible. We believe homosexuality is a sin. And they, they just, they sneak these things into their statement of faith. And when they put these moralities in, they make faith about morality. And so the only way to go is to go and listen to the whoever's talking for the day tell you what morals to have. And that's going to show whether or not you are close to Jesus. To step away from that and say, I'm actually going to walk this journey and think on my own, and I'm going to rethink all of these things, you, you get labeled very, very quickly. And Soren Kierkegaard, he says, once, once you label me, you negate me. So once you're labeled, you're canceled. So you, we have all these people who are trying to think and they, they, they want to think differently, but they can't give themselves permission to, 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 and for me to rethink that process of how am I going to let 
my own brain? How am I going to let all these Christians who have gone before me historically help shape who I am without just being told what I'm supposed to think and what I'm supposed to believe on a Sunday morning? Does that, is that a good answer? I mean, give me a grade, A or B or Uh, a plus (laughs) it's right. It's right there. And you know, it was, I was just thinking a second ago, Rod, it's, I've been doing this podcast for a year and a half now with Josh. Josh started it probably just about two years ago now, but maybe a little bit, a little bit longer uh, than that. And uh, I can't believe it's taken me a year and a half to being a part of this podcast. <laughs> you come on the podcast because you're right. You're right in the wheelhouse of what, of what we do and what we think about. Um, so I'd say a plus I'm sure Josh agrees. Um, <clears throat> and, and I think, I think a lot of the um, the aspect of being labeled and being canceled, I think a lot of that is just a cultural thing. And, and for, unfortunately, lately, I feel like the church has been doing the opposite of what it needs to do. The church has allowed the outside culture to influence what it's doing instead of the church influencing our culture. And I don't mean our society, you know, all of a sudden, everyone that's in politics is a Christian and you know, everybody that, you know, is a police officer is a Christian and everyone that's a fireman is a Christian. Cause I, I, I think that would be wonderful if they, if they were, but I don't know that it's better that we would put Christians in those places, but rather the church being so influential on those people and on our society that those people saw no other way, but to follow Jesus. Um, so I, I don't know what you think about all of that, but I mean, to me, it's like you were talking about canceled and all that stuff. And I feel like the church is being influenced from the outside world more than influencing the outside world. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of, I wonder sometimes if a lot of the canceling that happened, I wonder if the church started it because Definitely. we <laughs> farewell. Right. <Rob>. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah. Farewell, Rob Bell. You know, like you said something. It's so funny because that man, he wrote a book called Love Wins where he asked 8000 questions and never even really took a stance on anything, which, you know, that's fine to do if you want. I, I think that's what he was wanting to do. But just to ask the questions had John Piper tweeting farewell, Rob Bell. And That was, to me, that was the example of what the church had been doing for years and years and years and years. If you come in and you say anything that makes me feel threatened, um, you're gone. And so when Marty, when you talk about how, how can the church live a lifestyle that represents Jesus, that wants people to, to see that we embody Christ. And at the same time, instead of like being influenced by the world, for me, it starts there. Does Zacchaeus have the freedom to bring Jesus into his home with everything wrong and not be told what needs to be changed and fixed? Or does he get to arrive there through the relational context and the meals that are happening. And we know the answer to that. And yet we put up all these walls around everything we're doing and saying, you need to believe like us. And churches even go as far as to say, no, you know what? This is like 90% of churches. Our vision statement or our mission statement is belong, believe, become. You can belong and then you're going to believe like us and then you can become 
what we're becoming, but who wants this? We're not all becoming yellow bicycles. Like we're trees. We're taking different shapes. We all have different personalities and we're all meant to bring God's kingdom in different ways. And so we have really kind of in these institutions set up factories that set people up for failure when we base all of their spiritual formation on morality. Have you overcome that sin yet? Are you done with this? We're just hospitals that keep people sick and we're never unleashing them to find their own creativity. And it's the, it's a dangerous thing. And we are, I'm, I'm like hammering down right now. It's like, gosh, Hey, every pastor in the world, listen to this right now. Stop it. Yeah, no, right on. That's good, man. I think uh, to your point too, about the, um, the cancel stuff and it, it coming from a place of fear. I really think um, the, the idolatry of certainty um, has a lot to do with it. Like we need to be certain about everything, which then in turn, we don't have permission to question our beliefs because we are already certain about them. So what do you mean question? We already have it all figured out. Like, what are you talking about? Um, which really then I think it turns out though, that at least in my opinion, a lot of the time that fear stems from uh, unbelief. Like fundamentalism isn't that we are so certain about everything we believe, but rather we're afraid and we don't actually know. So we're going to repress that and, and you know, push that down and just project certainty, 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 um, mm-hmm. which in reality is a form of unbelief <laughs> because you're, yeah. you're masking your doubt rather than putting it forth. Um, and I think that can be rather um, uh, scary or, or not helpful. Um, mm-hmm. But I understand the fear that comes with that. And so I think giving like you were saying, giving people permission or to, to steal the language. Our buddy Dan Koch does a podcast, you have permission. So helping people realize that they have permission to ask those questions is is so huge. And also mm-hmm. um, one other thing I thought of when you were talking uh, is this like old phrase I picked up in uh, film class when I was in college. Uh, the medium is the message. And so mm. I think the church has forgotten that bit uh, because the medium hasn't been <laughs> the message. The message has just been a message and the medium has, has not been there. Um, the relationships, the, the can Zacchaeus come in and belong, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just been a bait and switch. And so I think getting back to the medium is the message, this organic community of people doing life together um, and growing and experiencing God together uh, is important. So, well, yeah, and faith is, faith is this, divine energy that is full of creativity. And when, when we can express our faith, so oftentimes we're taught to believe that faith is about what I believe about something. And, and Jesus makes it pretty clear, like, believe in me. He who believes in me, she who believes in me. To believe in something is to unleash and believe in the power that that thing possesses. So when we exercise our faith, it unlocks this crazy creative energy of possibility. And, you know, the Bible refers to that as, you know, how we move the kingdom forward, peace in places that there's not peace, light in places where there's darkness, things like that. But all of that really comes out in like crazy creative ways that other people 
haven't thought about. But when people don't even have the freedom to think something different about the list of things that are on the church website, there's no way that that creativity can be unleashed. So people are having tons of ideas and and they're just, they're afraid to even push through. And then when they do push through and they're having, their creativity starts to spark and they're like, you know what? I think that same Holy Spirit that was at the beginning of the world that was creating things, I think that's in me. And I'm feeling like I want to fight human trafficking. I'm feeling like I want to help with impoverished people. I want to help first generation homeowners. They have all these things that start to boil and they don't, because they've been so controlled by the morality of their own church, they go to their church and they say, I'm having this, this thing in me. I'm meant for something more. I have this creative energy in me. I want to serve. And the church replies, oh, that's so great. You can volunteer in the nursery. Or you want to keep people safe? Like you can be on our safety team. I saw you had that heart for human trafficking. Be on our safety team now or serve in our youth group. And it's just like all of the creative energy in the world because of fear just gets tunneled into helping the, the unsustainable empire keep its institution going as long as possible. And we become zombies. We just were doing, 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 and never creating. Yeah. Self-preservation. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no doubt. And you know, Rod, as you were talking, I, I feel like, like that was a really good um, segue kind of into, I guess, what we're calling the topic for today. But I, I mean, I feel like what we've been talking about is already kind of part of the topic. Um, so we don't have to necessarily transition away too far. But um, when, when you and I talked a month or so ago to kind of come up with what we would talk about on the show, you proposed the idea, church ideas and the call to something deeper, um, mm. which I think is really great. And I think it leads us to a cool conversation. But before we go into that, um, <clears throat> just so people can get an idea, a little bit further of an idea who you are, um, and get to the newest set of ideas, there's a pun in there, um, I think that we'll get to in a little bit. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about your book, Uncovered? Um, mm-hmm. what, what problem were you trying to solve when you wrote that book? And I feel like you've already answered that question without it being posed, but it'd be, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, sure. So Uncovered was my second book I wrote. Um, the first one was called Remembering a Forgotten Grace. And Uncovered was kind of the sequel to that book. It was, it was trying to bridge the reality of how I was raised in, re- in recovery with people who were actually healing because they were living uncovered. And at first, the title of the book was going to be like a kiss on the lips because there's a verse in Proverbs or Psalms that says an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. But my publisher said that sounds like a dating book. So I ended up with Uncovered, which is, it's fine. Um, It's not as either that or a John Mark McMillan song or something like that, you know? (laughs) Right. Skeletal vulnerability. That would be something like that he would come up with. So I wanted to bridge the reality of my own individual honesty and how that leads to personal transformation without the need for performance, laying myself bare to be received by, with grace, both from God and from the community. And I wanted to transition that into what does it look like for us to create safe spaces in our communities for people to be vulnerable, removing the performance-driven Christianity that we subconsciously slam 
on everyone who walks through our doors. And I wanted to ultimately transition that into what if communities could be honest with themselves about how they were living their lifestyles, church communities, specifically, how are we spending our money? How are we using our time and how are we using our energy? Are we creating unsustainable models of church that we need to just constantly dump fuel into to even keep them going? Or are we creating things that are leaving lasting impact in the world? And is the call to be bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger? Is it actually harming and is it actually hurting the message of God's kingdom in this world? And then the flip side of that, if you're not super big, is your little church so fixated on morality that you can't see your own neighbor? Um, and you have people constantly staring in the mirror trying to fix themselves. So I think it was like chapter 21 or something I wrote, if Paul was going to write a letter to the Church of North America, <laughs> and, it, it, and, it, it, and I just said in that, some of you are trying to be so big and expand your platform so much in the name of Jesus that you can't see your neighbor. And some of you are so fixated on separating yourselves from the world and not getting caught up in the ways of the world that you can't see your own neighbor either. And so I wanted to transition. What does honesty and vulnerability look like across the whole gamut of the individual to the individual trying to exist in the body of Christ? And what if we could be honest about what's really happening what kind of change? And, and I think, I think the book would end with, um, I think I ended it. You don't even have to read the book if you're listening, cause I'm gonna tell you how it ends right now. It's, um, it's that conversation in, in Narnia between the beavers. They're talking about Aslan to Lucy and they say, and Lucy's scared. And she says, is Aslan safe? And the beavers say, no, he's not safe, but he's good. And there's this element of, am I able to live a lifestyle of vulnerability so much so? And this is more than like, hey, I struggle with pornography. Oh, me too. Now we feel good, like in the corner over here. It's like, am I able to live a lifestyle of vulnerability that is questioning and seeing everything as it is and showing everything as it is so that God can shape it to leave maximum impact and legacy in my lifetime and in the life of the church. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That, that reminds me of the, this phrase, like um, that uh, I stole from Rob Bell, where he talks about like, there's an invitation to go so deep into your own self that other people will be able to find themselves there as well. Um, And I think the, I mean, the vulnerability bit is so, um, so important, so big, like far too often we don't see that at all on a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. especially not from the pastor on stage. <laughs> they're, no. they're playing, they're playing this game. They're maintaining this act. Um, and even to the point where like the slightest bit of vulnerability, like people pick up on and they like lose their minds. Like, wow, thank you so much. Um, like the, the few times, uh, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just making an observation. The, the few times that I've been able to preach at my church, um, I'm just like a pretty open person in general, almost to a fault a lot of the time. Um, and so that just kind of comes out. And even slight vulnerability, people pick up on it. And there's something there because then it's, 
it's it's a, a reality and actuality. It's a it's your story is is my story and, and my story is your story and mm-hmm. um, yeah. It's so I don't know that that's such a missing a missing piece. Um, and it's sad because I think I've been doing some reflection recently. Um, so I I play ice hockey um, in what's <laughs> commonly referred to as a beer league. Uh, which just means a bunch of uh, older people <laughs> mm-hmm. playing hockey for fun uh, who like to tailgate both before and after the game in the parking lot. Um, and there, <laughs> I've been reflecting on why I love going to hockey so much. Not I love playing, but the community that I've found in this D-League of people who have no idea who I am, uh, most of them don't know what I do for a living, um, the amount of grace and peace and acceptance and vulnerability and honesty that is found in that group is stunning. And it, it just, it trips me out. Like, why is it that I can find the most wonderful thing that Christianity has to offer this, this tool of grace? Why is it that I can find it in my beer league <laughs> on a right. Friday night at 1130 PM uh, and not on a Sunday morning? And that, yeah, well, why could Zacchaeus find it in his own house with a party with all these people or a woman could find it out at a well where no one else would come to be even be around her because she had the cooties? Um, why, why is it there? Because that's, you know, to be totally heretical, maybe that's where Jesus is. Maybe Jesus doesn't embody the performance-driven message that we that we want to tell each other about how faith is, but maybe he embodies people when they come together in deep relationship and they're able to be vulnerable enough and offer grace. But in those spaces, the name of Jesus might not even be uttered because it's been so twisted and the church has laid claim to it and said, no, it happens here when you come in and you face forward and you listen to this person, like when the gospel was first being preached, people were gathering in homes. They were being vulnerable with each other. And we know that they're being vulnerable with each other because Acts says everyone left without any need, which means I have to come and share my need with you. And you have to share your need with me. And whether that's physical, emotional, or spiritual, people are finding that intimacy together and then the church, Constantine entered the scene and the church got institutionalized. He made Christianity legal. And so now the church is an institution. And when it became an institution, there were weekly gatherings. It's not every day in each other's homes, spending time together. It's, it's, it's now once a week and people are coming and they're not listening to the preacher because they want to get caught up. They want to catch up with each other. My friend Chad told me this and when they try to get caught up with each other, now you can't have an institutionalized service anymore. So somebody went out and decided, let's cut down a bunch of trees and let's make benches that are really uncomfortable and let's face them all the same direction. And so now when people come, we can get through our service and we lost the whole intimacy and grace of it that you get at the tailgating, tailgating at the part of it. And we have it in the lobby. The church tries to, we try to fix that by putting good coffee in the lobby as people come in. But it's a, it's a piece of faith that is a thousand percent missing. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. And so 
and, and even when we try to make it happen in small groups, those are just lifestyle groups of people who exist kind of in, in the same economic, socioeconomic class with each other. So these are people I feel comfortable with. So there's no opportunity to spend time with someone who's even different than you. And now it's, it's like you've taken a vacuum and you've sucked the, all of the things that the kingdom of God would bring diversity, intimacy, vulnerability, opportunity for challenge from someone who's different than you. And you've, you've programmed it and everyone just, I don't know. We just, we go to a show and then we go, then we leave yeah. and we miss all that yeah. stuff and we yeah. need it back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's crazy. Cause that, I mean, that is the Western church growth model. Get a whole mm-hmm. bunch of people that look the same, are in the same socioeconomic class, have the same skin color, kind of like the same music and put them all in a room. Like churches have a targeted, I remember interviewing for a church and they were like, yes, our target audience is white 25 year old men. Like, Mm -hmm. whoa. And they're like, everything we do is going to be catered to white 25 year old men. And if anyone else comes, that's great. Like that's the model. And then you have these big homogenous groups of people and yeah, just like you're saying. <laughs> well, so you, you have that environment happening and you had mentioned, you know, when you had preached, Josh, you shed a little bit of vulnerability and people are so refreshed by it. They come to you and they say, oh, that's the best sermon I've heard at this church in years. And not only do you have to check your own ego at that point, because you're a breath of fresh air in a very methodical system. And so people are going to say that, but, and this is, I'm not talking about your pastors or your bosses or anything at this point, but the seminary teaches people how to preach, you know, homiletical sermons. The seminary teaches people how to do a funeral and how to do a wedding and how to read the word of God, even very, very academically, I would even say. And so people get all this training and then they come and little do they know that the seminary is producing narcissists and it's not meaning to, but when you give someone all this stuff and then you put a robe on them and you say, now you're ready to bring God somewhere. They're set apart. They're holy. They're on, they get to stand on that stage and everybody else gets to come learn from them. Call me pastor. Like, People want to call me Pastor Rod, and I say, listen, don't call me Pastor. It, takes, it t- took me three years to get an MDiv. If it, it takes doctors 12 years to get their degree. You can call them doctor or lawyer, but I'm telling you right now, like that title, I'm your pastor, I'm your, I'm your leader, I'm the person who's going to point you to God. If my lifestyle points you to God, if the way that I'm living is so radical, and by radical, I mean simply back to the way of Jesus, not some crazy person. If the way that I'm living is so radical that it draws you back to the heart of what God's up to in this world, then, then you can call me pastor because that's molded through a lifestyle of work and turmoil. I will call Richard Rohr pastor. He, he put in the work and he was called a heretic and he allowed himself to be shaped and he pushed through, like he earned that title. He earned that degree, mm. but we, we just have people coming in. 
they take the classes, they get their 4.0, they get the robe, then they jump up on stage and they know how to preach a sermon that if you disagree with, you're just stupid. You're just wrong. And, and all of a sudden you're supposed to look to them for faith, but they haven't been in the streets and the gutters. I'll tell you this story. Like I started to rethink when I finally gave myself permission to rethink faith, I'm working at a church and I've decided this is not where ministry needs to be happening. So I'm taking crock pots of chili to the liquor store in my neighborhood. And I'm standing outside the liquor store with friends and we're giving people chili on cold winter evenings, or we're walking around with coolers, handing out freeze pops in the places where the gangs are selling drugs and kids are getting them. And we're praying with parents and we're praying with people and out of the just craziness starts to happen. Like people's bones start getting healed. Their broken bones start getting healed, like on the spot on the street. And I'm not like crazy charismatic Pentecostal at all. I just saw it happen and my mind was blown. And there was something like, okay, now I'm in the streets and the gutters. It's obvious this is where Jesus is because people are getting physically, emotionally, healed in crazy ways outside of liquor stores. And so I'm like, I'm pumped. I'm like, I found the secret. Like you go to the darkest place in your vicinity and you love people there. And if you can do that, you're going to see some crazy stuff. And I go back to my job and, and in one of my evals, I get told we don't pay you to do street ministry. We don't pay you to do that. And it was just like a dagger to my heart because here I am, I finally given myself permission to rethink this thing called faith. And it landed me with a model that has 0% growth. The met, you can't measure it. It's just, I'm outside a liquor store and people are coming by getting chili and we're, we're talking to them and praying for them. And, um, their houses, they're being given houses after we pray for them and they're getting their kids back from foster care after we pray with them and their eyesight's getting better. And it was just insane. But then I go back to the institution and they say, that's not what we pay you to do. And so then, you know, I quit and I just did it myself anyways. And it's, it's the same thing, but there's so many people who can't embrace that creative energy just because of the fear of taking those steps. Yeah. Is that helpful, well, Marty? You tried to kick it off about ideas. No, that's that. great. That's great. It, you know, you were talking earlier about um, finding community in small groups. When, when Josh and I worked together, um, it was actually uh, communicated from the platform in an, like, an official sense that the only place you were going to find community and discipleship at the church was if you joined a small group. And there'd be a huge, huge push for six weeks before the small group season began. Mm-hmm. And then they tout this whole, you know, well, we have 89% uh, people signed up for what they call the growth group. 80, 89% of people are signed up. Um, mm-hmm. And what that really was is because Monday through Friday, uh, either Josh or I or both were given a list of 30 or 40 people that we had to call or communicate with in some way and get yeah. them signed up for a group. Um, so we t- on Sunday, it was communicated that it was for their benefit that they sign up. But then when people didn't, we had to, we literally had to force, I mean, like force people to be in groups. Now, 
I'm positive that the group Josh led, there was real growth and discipleship and connection and um, community there. And I know that because my wife was in one of his groups. I wasn't allowed to be in one of Josh's groups because I had to lead my own group. (laughs) So, um, and Josh wasn't allowed to be in my group because I had to, he had to lead his own. And when Josh first came to the church, I invited Josh to start coming to my group so that he could kind of, you know, just see how I did things. And the pastor said, no, he has to come be a part of my group so that he can learn how to do things the right way. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the pastor had never been to one of my groups, so he didn't know <laughs> if I did it the right way or not. Um, and if you, I would, you told him you did. And so, you yeah, did. yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> People I'm sure that were in my group told me that they really appreciated sort of like Josh is saying the breath of fresh air that they received when they were around me. They mentioned numerous times. They appreciated the breath of fresh air that when they were around Josh, in fact, they would even go so far. Some of them as to say, I'll never join so-and-so the pastor. I'll never join his group again because there isn't any community there. It's just like another Sunday sermon. Um, Mm -hmm. And we don't want that. We want, growth. We want connection. We want to like, and this church is missing that because it was mobile. There was no time to stand around and chat afterwards and usher people. Okay. It's time to go. You know? Um, So as you were talking about that, I realized like, yeah, like, like Josh and I lived that model. Like we were a part of that model. um, And unfortunately had to communicate that that model was good (laughs) in many Mm -hmm. different, many different ways. Um, and so we we know exactly what you're referring to when you're talking about all that stuff. Hey, there's no doubt. Marty, you know in that model who the people were that I respected the most? Who? Were the ones who figured out that if you signed up for a growth group the first week they were open, you wouldn't get all the emails and phone calls and text messages. So they yeah. would just sign up so that yeah. you, they were left alone. <laughs> those people figured yeah. out. Yeah. I liked those people. <laughs> Cheers to you guys if you're listening. <laughs> Yeah. Well, one of the things that stands out to me about those big pushes, the the reason we do them is because they're measurable. Mm-hmm. So if we can get a bunch of people to sign up, then we can say this is success because our metric is about numbers and it's about money. And so that's how we measure the success of a church. And so for a small group pastor to keep their job, they have to put in a list of we have this many people signed up to this many growth groups or life groups or small groups. And that's completely measurable. What's not measurable is making a casserole and taking it over to your neighbor or inviting your neighbor over to your house to eat or um, simply going across the street and taking your neighbor Christmas shopping. What is measurable is putting up a tree with here are all the needs that people have at Christmas. And if you take one, and then you bring a gift back. So church always tries to take kingdom good ideas and make them measurable and give them metrics. And when we give them metrics, we become in control of what is happening and the Holy Spirit's no longer in control of that. And so people lose their creativity in that. Because if I have a crock pot of chili outside of a liquor store, the question isn't, who'd you pray for? What's the story? You know, what happened? That guy was going to kill himself and he didn't kill himself. Like, can we follow up? Can we get him in a relationship with, with somebody? You got that person connected to a rehab. That's great. No, the question was, how many people are going out with you? 
and that's that's how the that's how church wants to define if something is a success or not. So we we stopped trying to be a witness to the impact of the movement of God's kingdom and we started to try to measure how many people were in the room when some type of of an event was happening. And yeah. do you see how upside down yeah. how that how that completely misses misses the point of it all? Yeah. Yeah, because the, the kingdom of God is no longer the end, um, but rather it becomes a means to an end. And that end is to pat ourselves on the back and sustain our institutions. So, yeah. 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 Well, and Rod, so, I mean, so you've been, you've been working on something new lately that kind of, um, kind of steers, it doesn't steer away from Uncovered because I feel like they're all connected. Um, sure. But can you can you talk a little bit about what you're working on now, um, and how like what what that's trying to solve, what the like what what it is you're looking into? Yeah, thanks for asking that because um, we get to move away from the negativity of everything you know that shaped us. But I will say this before I go into that, Marty. People want inspiration and they want positivity, but it's okay to sit in the emotion of the thing that caused you harm when that thing claimed to be the escalator that was going to take you to Christ. And when you, when you sat on it and it didn't do that, and, and especially for people like you and those listening who've been in, in churches that have these metrics when you were, when all of a sudden the thing that you loved that was inspiring you was now applying pressure to you. <laughs> and it was saying you're, you're a failure. If you're not meeting these numbers, it, it caused such a schizophrenic, like breaking in our hearts. We started to say like, we don't, we don't know up from down anymore. And so the call of Jesus is the radical flip it back, flip it upside down flip it upside down because it's upside down. Like we, we talk about, we talk about church, like, Oh, we, you, we need to flip it upside down and we need to do it upside down. But that's not the call. The call that Jesus has is it's already upside down. It's not happening the way it's supposed to be happening. So flip it upside down. And now you're going to be doing it in the radical Latin, you know, for back to the simple, back to the simplest possible way that it's intended to be done. So one of the ways that that can happen is the person comes into church and they say, I have felt the spirit of God and I'm supposed to fight human trafficking and I'm supposed to do it with my life. And what do I do pastor? And the pastor doesn't say volunteer in the youth group and do a fundraiser for human trafficking. They say, how can we come alongside you to empower you to make this thing happen. And we have time and we have people and we have money that's going to help you make this stuff happen because we've switched it and we're, we're doing it in a way that can empower people to step into their gifts and calling. But that's a huge budgetary shift and that's a huge time and energy shift, but it is empowering and it does empower people. So when you ask me what I, what, what's next is, you know, I wrote a book 
called the idea journal. And it's just a, it's a guided journal. It's not even a book. And I realized that there are a lot of people who are stifled in their own ideas. If you're Christians, I know a lot of the reasons why you're stifled. We just talked about them for 30 minutes. But a lot of people just, they don't even write the idea on a napkin. And there's so many creative people out there who want to do the podcast, but they never get it going. Like Josh got it going, or they want to write the book, or they want to make the album, or they want to create the business in the poor neighborhood that's going to bring God's economy to that neighborhood. They want to do the thing, but, but they don't know how to get there. And so I, I looked back on my life one day. I'm always looking back on my life, so don't think it's like a, like a big holy moment. Um, I looked back on my life one day and I thought, man, I've had a lot of things that I've been able to complete from that moment when an idea is a spark in your mind all the way until it's released into the wild. For some weird reason, I've been able to do that. So I wrote down all the questions that I ask myself and all of the ways that I moved through that. And I created this journal of question prompts. And then I found this amazing artist in Atlanta, Georgia named Rachel Eleanor. Follow her on Instagram, Rachel Eleanor. And she agreed to illustrate it. And she illustrated this whole book. And now we're co-publishing it. And we found a mainstream publisher. So this will be one of my first publications that's not like in Christian media. It's just for, for anyone. And it's called the idea journal and it takes someone's hand as they have a spark in their mind that is an idea. And it helps bring that idea to life through building it, shaping it, supporting it, feeding it, launching it um, until it's something that can exist on its own. And it is a living thing out in the world. And I just felt like that was important one, because it, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. They're not out there. Um, people haven't shared their process. And so I just shared my process because I thought, man, people need help and people need to feel supported because they are having humans in this world are having insanely powerful ideas. They're having ideas that can change the world. And, um, I was, I, I had a consulting call with Rob Bell, like, because my, my wife got it for me for like Christmas. And I was like, man, so I call, I get on that zoom call and I'm telling him about the idea journal. Then he says, you have to create an ecosystem around it so that people are beginning to kind of feed off of that. And I thought, you know what, that makes sense. So what I've started doing is if churches, if churches are feeling that pull, to say, yeah, we want to empower people better. We don't just want to put them in the machine and keep our hospital that has Munchausen syndrome going over and over and over again. We want to actually empower people and release them and be a church that's multiplying in a way that's not like just planting other box churches, but it's releasing people into the power that's inside of them, that creative energy. I, I help them do that. And then at the same time, there's people who are just like, I'm having ideas. I don't know what to do with them. I don't know how to finish them. I have a thousand of them a day. I've been doing some consulting with that. And it's been really fun to talk with people and realize and see that realization that it's that, that when they have it, that it's all right there. It's all in them. It's just been pushed down through fear 
in whatever different way and we can release it and we can be creative just like God was creative at the beginning of the world. And so the idea journal is just a little bit of a, a start for that because I didn't want, I didn't want to have to be the person who said like, do you have an idea that you need to finish? Then you need to pay me $50 an hour to consult with you. I just wanted to put a process out there so that if you, people could get the journal and then they could use that and they might not need it. They might not need someone holding their hand because there's too many ideas and there's too many world changing things happening right now for people to need to uh, <laughs> pay a, pay a subscription. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, Rot, that's awesome, man. Uh, and I, <laughs> that gets me really excited because um, especially you, you talk about this, this spark of creativity and realizing uh, that it's already there. It's just been suppressed. Um, it reminds me of this idea that people like Rob Bell and Peter Rollins uh, have mm-hmm. thrown around and talk about, which is the idea of the last guru. Uh, oh my like, gosh. Beautiful, right? There's this paradox in our life uh, where we need somebody to tell us that we don't need them. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, and it's beautiful. It's uh, yeah. So I, I don't know that, that just, that came to mind for me. Yeah. I was going to comment on that and where'd it go? It disappeared. Well, let me say this while yeah, you think it. about it, because it. Edison Chapel, that's our church, edisonchapel.com. It's simple, sustainable church that seeks to empower the neighborhood. And, and, and when people ask me what that is, I say, we're trying to bring God's economy to a neighborhood that has been forgotten and neglected. Everybody cares about who they vote for, but my neighborhood has looked the same for the past 30 years. So none of it's changing anything. It's time for the church to take a shape to bring God's economy. I had that conversation and learned the God's economy term from a guy named Don Golden, who wrote the book, Jesus Wants to Save Christians with Rob Bell. And he just said, you have to think in terms of God's economy, Rod, for your church. And to be able to even be on the phone with a guy like that, when we're trying to do something simple and sustainable, that's not the unsustainable model of church means that something is happening in this world. But the thing that I say to people at Edison Chapel is my goal as a pastor at Edison Chapel is to have us all embrace the reality that we're all pastors. And when I said that, you should have seen my Facebook. It was like everyone who had been to seminary and who had earned their degree needed to push back against that because they felt like they had put the work in to have this special title but Jesus didn't make it like that. You get to the top of the mountain with Jesus and he truly is the last guru. He looks at you and he says, I have forgiven all your sin for all eternity. The guilt of your sin does not get to follow you around forever now. So go and create for my kingdom. You get to these fake guru mountains and it's pastors saying, come back next week and I'll teach you how to overcome pornography. Come back next week and I'll teach you how to overcome anxiety halfway than the next week. And they just, you're always on the hook. But when you get to that mountain with Jesus and you find Peter Rollins up there too, they say, it's been in you the whole time. Jesus took care of it. This thing called grace is big enough now you can just step into it and create. And when I started to share that type of stuff, 
I got people trying to create laundromats in this neighborhood. I just got a text the other day from a really good friend of mine. He's like, I just got a guy to try to commit to getting a pharmacy in this neighborhood. People are really trying to create things that is even outside of the institution of church. Because if the church needs to be the guru, then people's creative energy will never be fully embraced. Does that spark what you were thinking, Josh? Yeah, dude. No, absolutely. I mean, you named it. Like, you, you killed it. Um, and I think I'll just, uh, to kind of help people who maybe are more, uh, they like to learn from stories, I'm going to share a parable, or it's, I think it's a true story uh, that demonstrates this very well. There was a, a gentleman, and he decided that he was going to uh, learn how to do like an Indian accent. He grew a beard. He donned the garb of an Indian guru and he went to India and he started a religion. Basically, he was a guru. People would come to him and they would listen to him and uh, he would give these messages and these talks and all this kind of stuff. And it didn't get massive, but he got a couple hundred people um, and their lives started to be transformed. Transformation was happening. And then <laughs> Uh, after a little while, he kind of did something crazy. He walked out onto stage that day when he was supposed to speak, uh, but he looked a little bit different. He removed the garb he had been wearing. He shaved his beard and he gave up on the fake accent and showed people, uh, hey, like it was there all along. I, all mm -hmm. I did was point and show you. Um, and these people didn't get mad. They didn't get angry because true, genuine transformation had happened. And they continued to live transformed lives. That is crazy. That's, I think there's something to that. Like, and I think that, that um, the empowerment, the, the last guru, all that, all that kind of stuff is wrapped up nicely uh, mm -hmm. in something like that. Yeah, I love that story. I've actually, I've seen a documentary about a guy who did that and it was, it was really fantastic. Parker Palmer wrote a book called A Hidden Wholeness where he talks about soul care. And he says that when we come to each other with answers, if you bring a problem to me and I give you an answer for it, I make your soul go into hiding because the soul, he says, is a wild animal in a forest and it will only come out when you're quiet and when you're waiting for it to emerge. But inside of each person, is that spirit of God that will point them in the right direction that they need to go. But when we answer those questions for them, we not only create performance driven expectations, but we also add, we, we add our own shame baggage to them and we use words that keep them in hiding. But it's only when we can trust that what's inside of someone is really the thing that's going to point them in the right direction. Can we help draw that, out of them. And the way that we can do that is through asking open-ended and honest questions. But church doesn't do that. Church, oftentimes, it, it's just we, we want to give the answers. And so, we have to find these spaces where we can actually do that with each other and empower each other. And you know what is cool about that is we can actually do that in the name of Jesus, because that's what Jesus did. And we can call those spaces church. And I think there's a movement happening and it's beginning to happen where we're realizing that true impact starts small and it cares more about legacy and impact and transformation than it does about what looks good to all of the other institutions. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I think you're naming something for me, Rob, like something just clicked for me. I've been recently trying to have this conversation with a, a friend of mine named Jace um, and trying to explain some of the, for lack of better terms, try to explain why I believe some of the things that I believe. And those quote beliefs have come not through somebody telling me something, but rather through a contemplative practice and genuine experience with the divine, uh, which is a deeper mm-hmm. level of knowing that isn't ideological. So it can't be argued with. And right. I've been trying to explain, give him language. Like this is like when I first started reading people like Richard Rohr or, you know, go back like the Thomas Mertens of the world. Um, it made me uncomfortable but then once I started uh, participating in like Ignatian spirituality, contemplative practice, this kind of stuff, I like something lit up. They were named, they were putting language to something that language can't encompass. And mm-hmm. so through the experience, through the contemplative practice, you start to see that. And then those books, like a, a switch flipped and I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about, Father Roar. Thank you, Thomas Merton, for naming that. And then you can go and you can find that stuff um, in other traditions as well, uh, which might be scary to some people. But um, like I'm reading a book right now called Living Buddha, Living Christ. Uh, Mm. It is fantastic. But again, it comes through this different kind of knowing, this awakening of the soul like you're talking about, which gets stifled when it's just told what to do and what to believe all the time. That's, that's good, man. Thank you for, for connecting some dots for me. Yeah. You know, like if you, if you want to rethink your faith, you're going to run into people who don't want you to rethink their faith. Uh, you, and, and I say that th- those words, those words are intentional. If you're going to rethink your faith, you're going to come across people who don't want you to rethink their faith. And even though that's not what you're doing, that's the fear and that's the pushback. I remember, you know, I shared a, a Rob Bell podcast on my Facebook. I worked at a church one time I shared that and I was told, you know, you need to probably not do that because although you can weed through the good and the bad, other, other sheep who aren't at where, who aren't at your level or whatever, um, they're not able to do that and you need to protect them from those thoughts. And that's such a dangerous, dangerous game to play because there's, there's freedom in rethinking it all. And, and and my, my quickest example before you jump in, Marty, my best example that I like to use is human sexuality. The church for so long just said, this is wrong. 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 Give me a bullhorn. This is wrong. This is wrong. And if you want to believe and believe like us and you want to be free, this is wrong. So the world just, the world responded. And what do you expect? The world responded by saying, this is right. This is right. This is right. This is right. And you better believe it or you're screwed or you're out. This is right. And so now you have polarizing views and there is no room for someone to be on a process. There's no room for someone to say, you know, yesterday I thought this today. I think this let's have a conversation. Like there's just no room for that. And when you push down someone's desire to think through things on their own with the Holy spirit that is inside of them from the creation of the world. You also unintentionally push down all of their creativity to do anything that'll add to the humanity of this world. Yeah. 
Well, and you know, as you were speaking right there, you you reminded me of, of a good friend of our podcast, Colby Martin. Um, he was on staff at a church. Um, was it somewhere somewhere in the south? Uh, well, southeast or, or southwest, I mean. Um, and uh, he shared something on his social media about being affirming of homosexuality, uh, and it quickly led to his firing. Um, and that, so that would obviously, for many people, that would stifle their creativity. But uh, I think for Colby, that that wound up being the fire that got him going. Uh, and so he kind of jumped on that bandwagon and, and kept going. He's still pushing that. Um, but I want to pose a question um, around ideas, but I want to pose a question um, based on what I'll, I'll say is a hypothetical, but it's not because it's uh, it may or may not be about my co-host on this podcast <laughs> this did, because I, uh, this is this is spurred on from our Rob Bell conversation and from this conversation and all of that. But um, so say somebody um, really feels called to be a spiritual director and they really feel like that's a path that they want to take. Um, they've been influenced and formed by spiritual directors in their life. They've been um, influenced and formed by people who have given them um, what they need in a spiritual sense, but listened to them beyond fact and answer, but more so empathy and understanding and listening. Um, And this person also really wants to write and influence the theological world, but influence the world in general um, with the ideas they have. Um, can you, you, you touched on it briefly as you finished what you were saying just a second ago, but Rod, can you talk a little bit about why these people that are like Josh, um, have these fantastic ideas, but then for some reason decide just to never like they it's, I don't know that and about Josh, I don't know that Josh has decided he's never going to do it. What's the reason that there isn't that? Uh, motivation in spurring and like this, the, like the drive to just do the ideas uh, that they have that are inside of them. So Jesus told parables and these parables intrigued people. People loved his parables because there's enough room in a parable to go deep, to stay shallow to run it off in different directions. You can go home talking about parables forever. And I understand that um, because I am a storyteller. So like if I go preach at, at, at churches and I tell stories, people feel moved and storytelling and the power of the testimony is really, really powerful that, you know, Marty, that's what you experienced at church camp. When we first met storytelling is very, very powerful. There's a moment when Jesus stops talking about parables and he rides into town on a donkey and he starts questioning the system and they kill him in three days. They put him on a cross and they crucify him. Now, thankful he's Jesus and he rises from the dead. So he gives us the power to do that without necessarily being (laughs) condemned People don't do it because there is the threat of crucifixion. Um, Not only will they make you lose your job, um, not only will they push you away, they will try to publicly shame you. Farewell, Rob Bell. 
they will try to hang you on a cross and they will try to strip you naked and point out all your faults because those same people who cheered for you when, when you rode into town three days later, they're, they're ready to hang you up. There's something about questioning the systems at play. Systems are designed to preserve themselves. I think you said that earlier, Josh. There's something about questioning those things that make people so afraid that they need to kill you. I mean, we've seen it. White people thought that they were the best race. And when black people started to question that, we started to have lynch mobs where people could take out their anger. When Rosa Parks sat on the wrong seat in the bus, she questioned the system. The, the, the only thing that I'll point out is, yes, people will try to crucify you. And that's why people don't, they don't want to be crucified. They don't want to be embarrassed. God forbid that I do everything that I'm doing right now that challenges, you know, churches, we know it. And someday someone points out my sin and hangs it on a poster and shows the world. I don't want that to happen. So let me play by the rules. I don't want my own shame to be exposed. People don't move past that and realize we're all broken. We all have things in our lives that we wish weren't there, but the creative thing inside of us, the spirit of God is calling us to something more and people don't want to lose their job and people don't want to be told even by their own parents, like you shouldn't go that direction. Jesus makes it very clear. I can't, came to separate husband from wife, father from son. I came to do all of these things. And I, I don't necessarily think it means your marriage has to fall apart. That's not the point because if you're one, you know, you'll move together. But the point is when you start to raise those questions and you do it in vulnerability, not in cynicism and not in negativity and not in pointing the finger, Adam and Eve did that. Look at them, not at me. When you're able to say, I've been part of this thing and here are my legit vulnerable questions and here's where God is taking me. What you find is that you start to move away from the institution that told you this is what Jesus was and you start to feel like, am I moving away from Jesus? And it's scary. And then this place starts yelling at you, we're going to crucify you where you can't, you know, we're going to cancel you. But what you find is that once you go so far, you realize you are actually moving toward Jesus. And the closer that you get to him, the further away you move from people who have, who, who've placed the fear of crucifixion over your head. And they didn't mean to. It's just from the time you were little, don't question our morality. Don't question our system. Don't say that our metrics were wrong. Because if you do that, the whole thing falls apart. And so it's the, it's the story of the Exodus. People don't, people don't want to go through the Exodus because once you get into the promised land, now you have to fight the Philistines. And, and it's a hard, hard journey. And, and we get inspired by people like Richard Warren, Rob Bell. Like, why didn't Rob disappear after John Piper tweeted that tweet, like we get to hear his podcasts and we get to read his books, but man, like 
can you imagine the arrows that he felt just for asking a question? Just for asking the question, is hell an eternal torture chamber with a lock on the outside? Is that real? Is that true? People just fired and fired and fired. And so that's why people don't. They don't want to be crucified. But the hope, Josh, who, who we are not talking about right now, if you get crucified, you will resurrect. And that's the most powerful thing about it all. And I've experienced that. Yeah. Now, right on, Rod. That, and I'm, I'm seeing too, I think there's, there's something interesting here as well. With the vulnerability piece that we're talking about earlier, um, if you, because I think, and you named this, you said there's, there's a move from cynicism to vulnerability. And I think that's huge because I spent a whole lot of my time in cynicism. When I first started this podcast, it was like, Marty, you might have to edit this out, but it's the word I want to use. It was like, fuck the system. This is the way to, to, to do it. Like it was straight cynicism. Um, but over time that does, that shifts. Um, and, and, uh, once you can let that go and step into vulnerability, um, then it kind of, you know, there's a, a phrase from somebody named Nadia Boltz Weber, who, uh, some people don't like, and as a pastor, her like motto is fuck it. I'll go first. And so she, mm-hmm. she just is willing to share her stuff and be vulnerable. And then when people come to crucify you, it's like, what, what, what ammo do you have? I, here it is. This is me. It's like in uh, in eight mile when uh, Eminem does his freestyle. And instead of roasting the other guy, he just roasts himself and he mm-hmm. hands the guy the mic and he says, here, tell these people something they don't know about me. Mm-hmm. And so I think like the vulnerability with the crucifixion and the resurrection like this, I don't know. It's, it's coming. I, I feel it. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. 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 So thank you. Yeah. You know, for people listening who are saying I'm, I'm right there on the edge. These are the type of people I want to talk to. These are the type of people I want to spend time with. I want to walk with people who are saying there's more in God's kingdom than what I've been allowed to walk in. And I want that because, and I, and I want that for them. And those are that that's, that's when I say, yep, I'll take the title pastor. You can call me Rod. You can call me pastor, but I want to walk with people and I want to help them get to those spaces because the life and the freedom and the peace that is there, man, it's uncanny. And it's just tied to this creative, creative energy that is the spirit of God, like saying, I want you to, to bring light to these dark places in amazing and amazing, powerful ways. And people don't know how close they are to that. They're like, they're right there. They are just right there. But the fear of being hung naked on a cross for the world to see the fear of being exposed and embarrassed, the fear of being the person um, like the Christians, we do it unintentionally, but, but we, we, we tell people they have no clothes and we, we, we treat them like the emperor with no clothes. And we say, we're going to laugh at you and you're going to be exposed 
but you're not that. You're, you're the person who's exposing the emperor with no clothes. You just feel like it's flipped. And so you, you, you can be the protagonist. You can live a better story. You don't have to die having just been a participant. You can be a prophetic challenge. And that's what I want for people. Yeah. Well, and it seems like, you know, oftentimes you hear people say they find Jesus often when they're in their lowest point, like when they, you know, when, when they've just lost their job or uh, their spouse wants to leave or all of those things are happening all at the same time. And so they're at their lowest, lowest, lowest point and they find Jesus in those places. But I think what it more so is, and, and for me, I, I think this is, I don't know that this a hundred that, that this is a one hundred percent my story, but I think there's parts of it that is true for me, where when you've been at your high point, you didn't really have Jesus at that. Like you had him, you had salvation the way the institution told you that you would get it if you said magic words and prayed a special prayer. But the relationship and the trueness of being close to Jesus, you know, being. Um, being like the woman that reaches out to touch his, his cloak, just, and just mm-hmm. to get a touch of his cloak, to be that woman, you, you weren't that woman. You were one of the people that was standing up in the, in the crowd when they were about to push him over the cliff. And you were one of the ones trying to push him off and couldn't understand why he was gone all of a sudden and you didn't push him off the cliff. But when you were in your, deep, your deepest, lowest point, you realize, oh, well, now I've found him. Part of you wonders yeah. if just would have looked, he would have been there all along. Um, <laughs> and I think, um, I think we find that when we, when our, when our ideas and our success isn't built on. I mean, I, I can think of the ministry roles I received, I've been in. Uh, Ron, I worked in a church that was a part of the denomination you worked for. Um, that was my first big ministry role. And then I've worked at the church I worked at with Josh. And then I worked at another church. And um, I think if I'm honest with myself, I feel like a lot of those roles I received because I went out and got them. Yes, it was a part of God's plan for me to be a part of those places. But I don't know that I don't know that I spent a whole lot of time in consulting Jesus about whether or not that's where he wanted me to take my family. So when when I lost my final like the, the last church that I was at when I lost that role, I feel like it took me a long time to figure out that Jesus had been there waiting for me the entire time. He wanted to be alongside of me. He wanted to work with me, but a lot of what I was doing was self self sustainability and self ministering out of whatever energy I personally had, which was very little compared to what Jesus could do. And so that of course led to, not being able to do that for very long, not being able to give anything. I was pouring out of a completely empty cup because Jesus hadn't been filling it. So I just think about this idea journal to me, I feel like there's a lot of different uses for it. I feel like it's, you could use it in a way where like you say, I've got this idea to do this really outside of the box thing. And I, but I don't know how to put it all together. And so you could use the idea journal for that. But I also feel like this is a way that people could, 
find their way back to, I have this idea and I'm in this place and I don't know how to find Jesus again. Like, I feel like I've kind of been missing something for a while. You know, I feel like the idea journal could also be used in that way. Maybe it's not the intent or maybe it, maybe it's the, maybe the intent is all encompassing. And so that's just a part of it. Um, But it just got me thinking about that for a little bit. And I, um, man, I just really appreciate what this, like the impact that this could have on the world, this, this whole, I, this whole concept. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we should do this again when it comes out, it's at the publisher right now. So I, I'm not exactly sure on a release date it's in editing and then all of that. And because it's my first mainstream publisher, uh, I don't really know how they work. Christian publishers kind of, they, they turn things around pretty quickly, but I think there's something with the market that they miss <laughs> at the same time. So I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, how it goes. I would love to talk to you guys again once it comes out, because not only would that help sell copies of the book, but we could talk specifically about ideas and getting over those hurdles that keep us from, from finishing stuff. Yeah, I, I think we would love to do that because um, I think there's so like I said, there's so many uses and there's so many things that this book could be used for. Um, well, Rod, man, this conversation has been great because um, not only did I get to talk with, with, with you, but mm-hmm. we got to talk about Jesus and we got to talk about Josh. I got to pick on Josh a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, but um, And Marty, Marty used the F word twice. So no, I oh, yeah, you did. It's going <laughs> to hell now. And I said shit a couple times. <laughs> yeah. That's the, the funny the, the reason Josh mentions that is because every once in a while, my mother-in-law listens to the podcast and I rarely, I just, it's just, it's not like I'm better than anybody. It's just not usually my vocabulary to swear. Like it's not my choice, sure. but my mother-in-law, when she listens to the podcast and Josh swears, always thinks it's me that's <laughs> doing it. And so she'll be like, like wow. Like you're kind of edgy with your language on the podcast. Don't you think like, you know, if you worked at a church or if you wanted to get a job at a church, that would be bad. And I'm like, what? I, 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 like I almost never do that. Um, so I think that's funny. Um, Just don't curse in sermons, Marty. I've done that. I've made that mistake. I had the organist at the church get up and leave because I said that Jesus was pissed off. So don't be like me. You're, yeah. you're. <laughs> no, be like you. <laughs> I preached a sermon uh, titled make the banquet great again. And it was all about Jesus you know, the, the great banquet in that parable that he tells. And I got talked to pretty good after that one too. <laughs> nice. Well, Rod, where, <laughs> where can people find you? How would you like people to interact with you going forward yeah. between now and the idea journal and when we do the next episode and just in general? Yeah. Uh, my personal website is rod tucker um, that's where, you know, if you want to, uh, if your church is like, yep, we want to empower people better. We want to have impact more than these metrics that don't work anymore. The curtain's being pulled back. It's just like the wizard of Oz. It's happening so fast. So Rod Tucker says.com. Um, and then, you know, if you just want to talk, I, I'm happy to schedule 15 minutes, um, my cell phone number is 605-760-3425. That, and I'll repeat that like a voicemail. 605-760-3425. Um, 
life is too short to go after fame as opposed to relationship. We were just talking about what you can and can't say at a ser- on a sermon or at a church. And there's a promise for fame if you go this way. But there's, I'm telling you, friends, there's a promise for creativity and entrepreneurial beauty and joy and peace if you can follow the Spirit and ask the, those questions and, and not be afraid. You will resurrect. It will hurt. But, but you'll resurrect and you have, and, and, and we're here to walk with you. So, you know, shoot me a text. We can set up a time to talk if, if you want, but if it's anything, you know, more than that idea, actual idea consulting or church, uh, if you, if you want to take your church to a empowering level of impact in your community, um, just rodtuckersays.com, I would say. And then from there, you can see all the books and, things like that. Dope. Sounds good, Rod. Thank you so much. You guys are, you guys are so fun. And (laughs) I started to feel a little bad about that. Like the, we're talking, it's like we're talking down at something, but the more that I thought about it, it was more like we gave ourselves permission to step back. Yeah. And, and look at something from the outside. And and I appreciated doing that with both of you. Yeah. Thanks, man. I, I enjoyed it as well. I often, I try to think about, sometimes too, like taking the step back, but also like, like talking about things from the inside. Like I'm a part of this thing that I'm critiquing. And so it's like, you know, almost critiquing yourself for healthy growth. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. think of, I like to think of it that way too. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to keep yourself in it. Yeah. You have to keep yourself in it. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. All right, man. Well, this was great. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Marty, thank you for making this happen, man. Marty's the ideas guy. And he was like, we got to get Rod. I said, let's yeah. do it. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Marty. Yeah, man, this is great. You're, you're every time Rod speaks, I, I guess I'll say this before we close. So when I first Rod, I'll remind you of the story. Cause I think it'll be helpful for people. Cause it was helpful for people when it happened. Um, when I first met you, um, you were talking about, um, living in the light as, as he is in the light and then we'll have fellowship with one another. And, um, that evening we were all sitting around in the dining hall or whatever it was. And I told you that there was a, there was a part about my marriage that hadn't been, that hadn't, and I hadn't been honest about with my wife that I had, um, a part of my past that I hadn't shared with her. And you said, well, you got to go tell her. And I said, okay. And you said, no, you have to go tell her right now. And so you stood up. And you said, let's go. We're going to go tell her right now. And she was there. She was at the camp. And so I went back to the room that I was staying at with her and she was sleeping. We had a, like, we had our two, like our one-year-old son and like our infant with us at the same time. She had in those little cabins. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like she had just been born. And um, uh, you said, just go wake her up and you have to tell her. And I went and I told her, and I was so terrified that my wife was going to say, well, you know, I think, I think maybe I'm just going to leave. And like, I'll, when, when the week is over, just, you know, I'll come back and pick you up or maybe, maybe someone else will, and we'll work on this when you get back. But when I told her that, so the, the thing that I hadn't told her was that I had, I had been with other women before her, like I had slept with other women before her. And when she had asked me that before we had been married, my answer was no, I had not done that. And so I had been dishonest, but also it was just this part that like, I had many opportunities to share 
before our engagement and before our marriage. And then like after our marriage and I had not done that. Um, and so when I told her that she said, well, this is a burden you have had to carry all by yourself, but now we can carry it together. And so I received grace and fellowship and oneness because I was open and I lived in the light. Whereas what I thought the light was going to bring living in the light was going to bring rejection and anger and fear and denouncement. It brought the exact opposite of all of those things. And so the reason I share that story is because I would, I would probably not have shared that story if the speaker was, you know, somebody else, like, you know, if they had Tim Tebow come and speak instead, or like, you know, Joel Osteen or somebody was the one giving the, giving the camp, the week long camp speech. Um, I probably would not have shared that. Um, But I did. And I think it's because you were, you were so big and I'm, I'm sure you still are about how living in the light and being honest with each other and not having these things that you push to the back and don't, don't talk about with anybody ever, um, how, how living in the light is so much better. Um, and so you've brought transformation into my life, into my marriage, into my home. Um, so like I said earlier, I can't believe it's taken a year and a half for me to be like, Hey, Josh, we need to have this guy, Rod, that I know on the podcast. He's just so amazing. Um, so, uh, when Rod tells you that he would love to be in relationship with you listeners, like he he's, he's being honest. He's not, he's not saying it so that so he can, he can say that he did say it. He's saying it because it's true. Um, so yeah. That's, I just wanted to share that. So, <laughs> dude, that's a that's a beautiful story. Thanks for sharing that. I, I I can only chalk that up to that must have been really Holy Spirit led. Yeah. Um, because your wife gave grace upon grace, and I was terrified listening to that story because I'm like, what if she would have said something different? Oh my yeah. gosh, what was I doing? But that God God must have been in all of that, man. Um, yeah. And that's really beautiful because you have a phenomenal, you have a fantastic family. Thanks, man. Thank you. Well, yeah, I wanted to share that story, but um, I think, uh, Josh, I think, I think we've had a great episode. What do you think? Yeah, I agree, man. And I look forward to whenever the ideas journal comes out so we can do it again. Yeah, me too. Sweet. Yeah, man. Thank you. And uh, listeners, as always, thank you so much for, uh, hanging out today. Thanks for uh, supporting the show. Uh, We love you guys. And as always, go Caps. Go Blackhawks. Go Ducks. Glove side. (laughs) (laughs) Peace and love, guys.